Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, the filmmaker's collaborative podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. On this episode, I'm joined by director Sky Bergman to talk about her film, Lives Well Lived. Be endlessly engaged in whatever your passion is. Work a little less, spend a little less, enjoy life a little more. Sit loosely in the saddle of life as you go down the long trail. These are among the many words of wisdom imparted by the 40 interview subjects in Sky Bergman's documentary, examining the lives of people ages 75 to 100. Sky Bergman was inspired to make the film by her grandmother, Evelyn, whom she started filming at age 99. Evelyn lived to be 103, long enough to see herself projected on the big screen at a film festival just three weeks before she passed away. Evelyn and the documentary's 39 other subjects represent some 3,000 years of collective life experience. Here's the trailer for the film Lives Well Lived. My definition of a life well lived. That's a really interesting question. I mean, I just lived my life one day at a time and I did everything the way I thought I should do it. And I don't know what brought me this far. Only God knows. Maybe I still have something to do. Life plays with you, doesn't it? You have to take it. And you have to battle it. We all had to wear these around our necks from Vienna and I was standing there trying to be very brave. We were taken out of our homes, we had to leave everything, and we could only take what we could carry. The whole civil rights movement was a big thing for me. I would be on the picket lines all the time. An Indian chief once said, you will be remembered by the tracks you leave behind. The reason we had nine kids is that I had an oversexed Italian wife who couldn't keep her hands off me. And since I never get headaches, I couldn't say no. <laughs> My wife passed away in 21 years ago. I am still married and always will be married. My friends, they said, oh, I'm getting too old. I can't do this. I can't do that. And I said, oh, fooey with that. If you say, I can't do it, then you won't be able to do it. Just go out and do it. It's not your numerical age, it's your biological age. So think young, act young, feel young, forget the number. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit www.filmmakerscollab.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please follow and share. And now on to my conversation with Sky Bergman. Hello, Sky Bergman. Welcome to Making Media Now. Thanks so much for having me. So as the director of this great film, Lives Well Lived, I'd like to just start at the, the beginning, at least of the, the, uh, the filmmaking process for you. And 
Could you uh, tell us a little bit about what was your inspiration for making this documentary, uh, which profiles uh, the stories of around 40 people who are all aged between somewhere between 75 and 103 years old? Yeah, so you can see behind me the inspiration for the film, which was my grandmother. And my grandmother was really my role model, my hero. Um, she was just such an amazing force in my life. And, um, you know, I was looking at approaching 50 and she was approaching 100. And I was looking for positive role models of aging out there and just not finding them. And here I had my grandmother and my family, um, you know, in my, within my own family, had this really positive role model of aging. And she was still going to the gym when she was hundred. And I just thought I need to find other people like her and, and film them and record them. And I didn't know I was going to make a film. This is my first film. So I didn't know I was going to make a film. I just up to that point had only done little videos of my grandmother cooking that I called Cucina Nana, grandma's kitchen in Italian. And, um, so this is really my first foray. But I think when you're passionate about something, if you follow that passion and that thread, sometimes it leads to great things. So you said you were you were on the cusp of turning 50. And I always find our perspectives on age to to sort of they slide as we get older. We yes. kind of redefine in our minds and in our lives what that means. I'm wondering, can you remember back when, say, when you were like 25 or 30, what you thought turning 50 meant? Well, I mean, I'm going to use a, a phrase from my dad, who was a geriatric physician, and he used to say that old is 15 years older than you are, and it's a sliding <laughs> scale. So as you age, um, old becomes, you know, something different. And I think that when I was um, 25, you know, I really... Um, I thought the half century, I mean, that's a big, big mark. And I remember my mom saying that when my grandmother turned um, 50 years old, she said to her, wow, you're a half a century old. And she realized as soon as she said it, that was probably not a good thing to say. And so that kind of stuck with me. But I also think um, for me, I mean, it's been a wonderful time. It's a time of reflection. It's a time of looking forward. Like, what do I want the next 50 years to look like? Um, what have I done with the first 50 years? How can I um, improve upon that or maybe hone in on what I've done? So, um, you know, I, at 25, I don't think I had the understanding of what 50 was at all. <laughs> do you think there's a difference between aging which we all are going to do, which we all are doing as we as we speak and getting old. Absolutely. I mean, I will tell you that one of the people from the film who became a really good friend of mine, Lucky Louie, he was an Italian um, pediatrician turned mozzarella maker when he retired from being a pediatrician. And I would even after I finished filming, I mean, I always love to say the greatest gift that my grandmother gave me was the gift of 40 new grandparents, because all the people that I interviewed became really close friends. And he was certainly one of them. And I he lives around the block from me. And I would go visit him um, while he was making the mozzarellas. And I would ask Ask him, hey, Lou, how are you doing today? And he'd say, well, this was when he was 97. He'd say, you know, it's not like when I was 95. I mean, you know, right. That was his response. The spring of his I youth. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that in part, you know, his philosophy, which I think was a lot of people on the film's philosophy is your body is going to age. It's physically going to change. That's just part of uh, what happens. But I think, you know, mentally and your outlook, I think that that's really your attitude is really what keeps you going. And I think that 
you know, when I, when I did this film, I really was looking for that slice of people who were 75 and older who were positive. So I wasn't interviewing. I'm not a social scientist. I'm an artist. I was really looking for who could be my role models as I aged. So I was looking for those people that had that positive outlook. And I think the biggest thing and the biggest takeaway for me was that they all had a sense of purpose and they all had a reason for why they were still around what they wanted to do, what they want to accomplish next and what they still wanted to learn. And I think that that has really stuck with me. And I, I, I like to tell my students, cause I teach at a university and I say, you know, we all need a sense of purpose, no matter what age we are. And I think that the key thing is knowing that that sense of purpose can change over time, but continuing to have that sense of purpose, I think is really imperative. You know, I was recently reading about this Harvard study of adult development that initiated with the graduating class from Harvard uh, of 1938. And there are still 60 surviving members of that class. And uh, it was either every year or every other year that these cl- that these uh, class members would be sent this pretty exhaustive survey about the state of their physical well-being, their their professional well-being, et cetera. And it kept reminding me of your film uh, mm-hmm. because their, you know, their findings um, uh, kept reiterating the fact that positive, healthy relationships with right. the people around them, but also a, the relationship they had with themselves. And I think that gets back to what you're talking about. Purpose really was the difference maker. And it even superseded uh, things like professional accomplishment um, in, in many, many instances. Yeah. And I think I, I read about that study as well. And I think one of the things I sent it to all of my really good friends. And, and one of the things was friendships that really that was something that really, um, you know, the key to happiness and staying happy was having good friends. And I think that the other thing that I learned from uh, all the people in the film was that. Um, they really had three commonalities, a sense of purpose, um, this um, idea that they had to have a good set of friends or family. It didn't necessarily need to be family. It was like a good set of com- good sense of community. And I think that that sense of community, that sense of friendship really helps us. And then I think. The third thing is really about attitude. All the people, and this is very much a cliche, but all the people in the film really saw life as the glass is half full rather than half empty. And I think that that really... Um, when you watch, if you watch the film, their sense of resilience and what they, they all, cause they all went through traumatic moments in their lives, but how do they come out the other end? I think that that's really what's important. And I'm reminded of, um, Evie Justison, who's was in the film and, and, uh, talked about her reading Victor Frankl's man's search for meaning and what an impact that had on her. And really for her, her biggest takeaway from that book was that there are many times in life where you can't control the things that are happening around you, but what you can control is your attitude. And I think so much, I mean, I've never seen it on a worldwide scale, but so much of that with this pandemic, certainly that really resonated with me as I was going through the, at least for me, as I was going through the pandemic, um, you know, that it was really, there's nothing I could do about that, that was happening, but what I could control was my attitude about how I dealt with it. And I think that those those three key elements were what really those those 40 people that I interviewed had in common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was watching your film, this um, equation kind of uh, occurred to me that uh, I, I wrote it down as experience plus resilience equals wisdom. And, <laughs> I and, like that. <laughs> and some of the folks in your in your film, in particular, the resilience that they had to summon 
and mm-hmm. and nurture uh, was well beyond the ordinary. I'm, you know, I'm thinking uh, in particular of Marion Wolf, uh, who was 84 at the time the film was made, and Susie Eto Bauman, who was 95 at the time uh, that that was made. Maybe you could share with our listeners a little bit about each of their stories and particularly uh, the vital role that resilience played. Yeah, that's a, a really um, a good point. And I think for me, interestingly enough, that you picked Marion because Marion Wolf um, was eight years old when she came over from Vienna, Austria on the very first kinder transport during right before World War Two happened. So the kinder transport was this movement by the Quakers in the United Kingdom to rescue as many Jewish children as they could from Austria and Germany. They rescued 10,000 children, and she was lucky to be on the very first kinder transport out of Vienna, Austria. And when I interviewed her, she still had the cardboard number that she wore around her neck at the age of eight years old when they put her on that kinder transport. And I get chills every time I think about it, because I think, what was I doing at eight years old? How would I have handled that? And it just, I think that one of the strengths of the film is that you see the people at that moment. And it's a, you know, it's one thing to read about the kinder transport or to read about like Susie's stories about being interned um, during World War II because she was Japanese American. And it's one thing to read about it, but another thing to hear a firsthand account. It really gives you a very different perspective of what that must have felt like. And I think it's that um, that that feeling that resonates, that connects with people in a very different way, that puts you into that moment and, you know, ask, really gets you to ask that question of yourself. What would I have done in that moment? And I will say that with um, when I interviewed Marion and she brought out that cardboard number um, up until that point, I had just been randomly interviewing people, not thinking I was necessarily going to do a film. I thought it might be a web series. I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. But when I interviewed Marion, and she brought out that cardboard number and that so hit a a nerve for me. Um, I just, I realized I had to make a feature film and that it had to get out there in the world that it wasn't just originally I set out to collect the wisdom of all these wonderful people, but it was really more than that. It was also about their stories and about their stories of resilience and that those really needed to be captured and shared. And so that was a real pivot moment for me, uh, in the making of the film. And Susie's story was, um, Susie Edel Bauman, as I mentioned, was, um, born in the United States, but of Japanese descent. So when World War II happened, she was interned along with her husband and her children and um, her whole family was interned. Um, Her husband uh, really felt like he wanted to prove that, you know, we are American and he just signed up to be part of the 442nd Infantry, which fought some of the most difficult battles. And unfortunately, he was killed in action in Italy. And um, she was left alone and, you know, she but she's still the most positive person. She really came around because she wanted to be there for her kids. Um, She's still alive, by the way. She's one hundred and two. She's still (laughs) amazing. She's doing really well. uh, but also just one of the most positive people that I know. But that was definitely a, a difficult, very difficult moment in her life. I mean, imagine being interned by your own country and then your husband gets killed defending that country that has interned you. I think that's just got to be I, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like. Yeah. The cruel irony of of that mm-hmm. whole scenario is just it's it's tough to put into words. When you were talking to the, the to the people that uh, you chose for your film, um, 
Did you find out anything about whether they were kind of outliers within their families or their, you know, their lineage in, in terms of uh, how old they were and maintaining health, et cetera? Like, I'm I'm trying to get a sense of were they aware of any genetic component that might have been at play? Well, I will tell you that. I mean, I can tell you from my own family experience, which was my grandmother was one of 14 children, eight of which made it to adulthood. She was the only one that made it past 65 and she lived to 103. And she would always say, I don't know why me, why I'm here. Um, But uh, I think that, you know, it's really sometimes it's just genetics. She happened to get the luck of the draw because all of her brothers and sisters died of cancer and she made it to 103. Um, She actually passed away not from anything. She um, came out to California to see the film on the big screen. And six weeks later, she said, I'm done. And she stopped eating and drinking and was gone in two days. And my mom says that she really lived long enough to see the film on the on the big screen. And then she felt like her mission was done. And I think there might be some truth to that. Um, But I think that uh, as far as the other people in the film, I think it's it's really, um, you know, health wise, it wasn't about um, what they ate or any of those kind of things. I think it was really much more about their, their mental attitude. And I think many of them had lost siblings and and people in their family much younger. Um, I think, you know, sometimes it's genetics. Sometimes I think it's just the attitude. I think attitude plays a lot in how you live your life and how healthy you are. I think Mm -hmm. that that has a really important component to, um, how you're doing. But I also just want to mention that, when you look at the film, it's not about people that are 75 plus who are, I mean, there is somebody who does yoga, which is amazing, but not everybody is that, you know, limber or can do those things. I mean, I interviewed people that were in wheelchairs that were not, but it wasn't about the physicality of it. It was about the mental you know, right. state of it. So the people that couldn't do, like I said, with Lucky Louie, the people that maybe couldn't do the physical things, it was much more about appreciating the things that they could still do rather than being um, depressed or upset about the things that they couldn't do. And I think that's part of that resilience, part of that attitude adjustment sometimes. Yeah, there's a real feeling of vitality that comes through uh, the the people that you're that you're speaking with and the people that we get to know in the film. And and some of them, as you mentioned, the vitality exists uh, not just intellectually or spiritually, but, you know, physically, there's the the 86 year old, at least at the time of the filming, the 86 year old Yogini, who's busting out moves that I couldn't do now. <laughs> Me either. So <laughs> very impressive and a little jealous. So, so, you know, say that, but the, yeah, the, the, the sense of the, the sense of vitality that is maintained this, the birthday scene for your grandmother in the film, how old was she turning uh, at that time? She, she was turning, that was her 103rd birthday. Unbelievable. So that was, yeah. Unbelievable. And, and she blows and, out the candle and her and, one wish is let's do this again in another year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was amazing. And I I think that, you know, that was a big part of it was that she was always looking forward and always looking to the next thing. And I think, you know, no matter how old you are, you have to have things to look forward to and you have to have that. um, That's what keeps us going is having something to look forward to, something to do some like, again, that sense of purpose. Yep. Uh, as I had mentioned to you before we started recording that I have uh, our mutual friend, Liz Solar, who is the host of the Embark podcast, which is a great podcast. Uh, it was through her podcast that I that I discovered your film. And she used a really cool phrase, I thought, a siloing 
that takes place, not just in the workplace, but also culturally between generations, between age groups and how that can um, unconstructively kind of solidify impressions that generations have of each other. Um, In your work uh, as a professor, you're obviously you're not siloed. You're you're working with young people all the time or young, much younger people all the time. How much, if if any, uh, of a role did the people in your film, um, how much were they uh, working with or intermingling with younger generations? And did you see a relationship between that and their continued vitality and sort of purpose purposefulness? Absolutely. And uh, one of the things, just uh, as an aside, uh, we do, I do a lot of intergenerational projects with the film where we work with older adults and students and we show the film to both groups. And then we use the questions. I formulated 20 questions that I asked everyone in the film and we give that to the students and the older adults as a starting point to start that connection and that conversation. And then they do a big wrap party at the end of the quarter or semester. And we've been working with Senior Planet, which is part of ARP, and doing this virtually even during the pandemic. And it's just wonderful to bring the generations together because I think like any other stereotype or ism, when you meet somebody from that other group, it's really hard to have that stereotype or ism about them. And so we're combating the stereotypes of ageism, one story and one connection at a time. And certainly the people in the film are already doing that. Um, Paul Wolf still goes into high schools. He also um, had to escape Germany during World War II. And he talks about his experience during World War II and about discrimination. And um, Rose Albano Ballesteros still goes in and teaches English as a second language in the morning to high school students. Uh, Evie Justison is involved in a movement with the League of Women Voters where they go into high schools and talk to high school seniors about the importance of voting and why one vote really matters. And they encourage the students to register and pre-register to vote. So they're all engaged in some way in a, in a very interesting, different ways um, with younger generations. And I think that that's vitally important that we stop siloing and start connecting the generations and bringing different age groups together. I mean, I I will tell you just a quick aside. I had a student, um, James is his name, who went with me on the interview for Lucky Louie, who, for those of you that haven't seen the film, he's a, was a great guy, very funny, real talkative. And um, James and I went out to lunch after we did the interview with Lucky Louie. And James said to me uh, with a very, you know, just unknowingly, he just said, wow, I didn't know that older people could talk so much. And I, it kind of took me back because I grew up in a four generational household. And so when my great grandmother was still alive, when I was growing up, And um, so I never even thought about that because I grew up around older adults, but there are so many people that don't have an older adult in their lives. And I think it's really important to um, have these projects where we can connect generations. And in fact, because the film's been on PBS, PBS Learning Media picked this up and there's a whole project um, that educators, K through 12 educators can use and um, bring this, the Lives Will Live project into their classroom and to help connect generations. Yeah, you know, and in, in popular culture really doesn't help with that, uh, the, the, those stereotypes of people uh, of a certain age or beyond, you know, the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's the befuddled old person or it's the cute old person, which, however well intended, I always find that to be somewhat insulting because this is this is an individual with a lifetime of experience a lifetime of pain and joy 
and to sort of reduce them to the adjective that you would use for a puppy just seems a bit dismissive. Yeah. And I think that we're seeing a shift. I mean, what I'm um, very heartened by is that we're seeing a shift in the media. You see programs like Hacks and like Frankie and Gracie. And, you know, you we're seeing more programs where you see these intergenerational connections that are happening and you see older adults and young people together and how they how they come together. And I think that that is a, a real shift in the last couple of years. Yeah, that's an excellent that's a, that's an excellent point. And I think in the workplace, so often these silos get constructed at the at the point of language where, oh, this person isn't using the exact same vernacular as me. Therefore, they must be out of it, where right. if you just listened a little bit more closely and and sort of saw beyond the buzzwords of the moment or listened beyond the buzzwords of the moment, you would realize that, no, this, this is a very deep well that I could be, that I could be drawing Mm -hmm. from. Absolutely. And I think there are, you know, I've worked with companies like um, in particular Lando Lakes, where they have um, employee resource groups and they bring different age groups together. And in fact, the young professionals are mentoring the aging successfully network. So it's really, I think that flipping some of those things on their head, I think is really um, a a very important uh, item that corporations, educational institutions, communities should think about doing and bringing more intergenerational programming to their, um, their places. I think that that's so, so vital to have that. I'm curious uh, as an artist yourself, in your journey as an artist, uh, what have you learned about the um, the role of maturation and age and experience uh, on the work done by artists? So, it, you know, in other words, can you think of or point to particular artists that without having not aged, having not gotten older, something about their art would not have come to fruition? Well, I think that there is something about like I think about my mentor, Richard Ross, who is now doing a project about um, juveniles in the in the justice system. You know, he can afford to and he's been doing it for the last 10 years. He can afford to do that because he's financially secure. He's made his name already. And now he can do this passion project that he knows he's not going to necessarily make money off of. But that just feels like something he needs to do. I mean, I feel like the same thing was true for me with the Lives Well Live film. I'm not was not thinking about the economic value of it. I was thinking about the social value of it and following that thread and following that passion. And so I think as artists mature, you know, there's less of a pressure um, for for many to really think about doing something for economic reasons and doing things more for their passion or for their their conscience, their social responsibility, any number of those things, I think, starts happening as we mature. We start looking back, I think, at what is our legacy going to be and what are we leaving behind? I think um, that happens uh, when as we start maturing a little bit more is we really want to think about our our legacy and what we can do to leave the world a better place. So you mentioned that Lies Well Lived was your was your first film. Uh, And I'm always interested when I talk to first time filmmakers. What did you what did you enjoy the most and what did you find the most challenging? 
Well, I think, you know, for as every first time filmmaker, right, the most challenging is finances. Um, I kind of came up with a creative way to finance my film, which was that I rented my house out through Airbnb because oh. after applying for several grants and I just wasn't into doing the Kickstarter thing, I thought, you know, what, I'm spending way too much time trying to raise money and I want to put that energy into making the film. So um, and I had a big house and I had lots of room. So that was what I did to creatively finance a film. But I think that was the biggest challenge. I think the biggest joy was um, the people that I met. I mean, you know, and 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 also the biggest joy has been getting the film out there in the world and the way that it has touched so many people that I would never have thought was possible. I mean, it was for me a sleepy little film that I did because I had to because I was following this thread and this love of my grandmother and then meeting all these amazing, wonderful people along the way. Um, it, it took me four. I should say it took me four years to interview the 40 people that I interviewed and then another year to edit down, you know, what I what I wanted for the film. So it was a five year journey. It put the film together. It wasn't an overnight sort of thing, right. uh, but it's been such a joy to have the film out there in the world. And the biggest joy for me was meeting the 40 people and becoming friends with the 40 people that I interviewed for the film. And it is great to hear that there are now myriad options for viewing the film. So just share a few of those with, with our listeners, if you would. Yeah, if you go to our website, which is lives-well-live.com or just Google Lives Well Live, you'll find our website. And on there, you, there's links to it on Amazon, iTunes. It's on PBS Passport if you're a, a member. And most recently, Canopy picked it up. So if you have a library card, you can probably watch it for free on uh, Canopy. That's great. So the film is Lives Well Lived, and I've been speaking with the director, Sky Bergman. Um, congratulations on this really inspirational film. Uh, it's It was a pleasure watching it, and it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure on my end as well. Okay, take care. Bye.